Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard It's it. What is it? It's episode number 57 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most critically acclaimed Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly and joining me as per usual is my partner in crime and co-host Liam O'Donnell. How are things, Liam? You know, Doug, they're kind of exhausting, but they're good. Now, when you say exhausting, are you referring to your personal life? We know you have a young child at home. Should be very tiring. You're up late nights. You're up early mornings. Well, last night there was a uh, a triple feature at the local drive-in of um, Miss 45, Angel, and Lady Terminator. Oh, my uh, goodness. And I could not make it to Lady Terminator. Angel ended, and I, I had to get home. So I got home. I probably rolled into bed at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and at uh, about 4.45, I was up with the baby. Yay! So, so what you're saying is not a lot of sleep, Liam. No, not not an excess, at least. Not an excess. Liam, I've heard you on social media complaining about the weather lately. Well, I, I mean... People love our weather updates, by the way. This is, this is why people listen. Yeah, 100... I mean, this is the content people are looking for. I Complaining is one thing. I, I'm just not... It's suddenly all right, switched. All right, Sh- shut up. Shut oh, the fuck God. up. Man. We have to... I have to stop you early. Usually, I'd go with this banter for another 20 minutes, but we just don't have time. We have – this is like literally the most exciting news we've ever had on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. It is. What what what, what news, Doug? What news? You, you appear incredulous, but I know you know what the news is. And in fact, I imagine most of the people listening to this already know the news. But if you don't, you better you better – Glue yourself to your chair because something is about to happen now that is unprecedented. Because the fact is, we've been teasing Liam on this podcast that we've had some big news coming. And I think some people thought that the t-shirts, the Eric Roberts is the fucking man t-shirts, might have been the big news. But that's not big enough news, is it, Liam? No, I mean, it's news, but it's not big news. No, but the big news did break just a couple of days before this recording. Everyone knows about it. Everyone's talking about it. It's it's really (laughs) exciting. (laughs) And it involves a a film festival in Chicago called Cinepocalypse, Liam. Yes, Cinepocalypse. Now, longtime listeners of this show know, Liam, that you were on the, I I guess, would you call it the, the board of the Bruce Campbell Film Festival? Oh, man, that's that sounds way too important. I helped out with the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest in Chicago, which meant uh, anything from like handing out tickets to driving around Barbara Crampton to I think last year I got to pick a movie. There was one movie that I picked so that I was like, oh, I helped with programming. That Barbara Crampton seems like a real sweetheart. Liam, She's amazing. Is she going to be at it this year, Liam? I don't think so. I don't think we're doing it. <laughs> but you know, Liam, somebody we both know is going to be at that event. Or what I should say, let's let me let me let me backtrack a little bit. So the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Festival has now evolved into something completely different. Is that correct? Yeah, so Bruce Campbell Horror Film Fest uh it's it's I wouldn't even say it's evolved. I would say that has ended and now mm-hmm. 
the guy who ran it, Josh Goldblum, is running a new fest in conjunction with Music Box that's in November as opposed to August. And Cinepocalypse is more like a a broader genre fest. So uh, right. they had their first announcement. Uh, they announced a number of programs, but uh, the lineup is a mix of like action and horror and uh, a few different things going on there. Uh, and then unlike... I bet our listeners are already exhausted with this announcement because it seems to be taking so goddamn long. Well, they announced there's going to be a live podcast recording, which I don't think oh. they've done before. Well, of course, they haven't done it before because this is the very first Cinepocalypse taking place from November 2nd to sure. 9th in Chicago. No, right. Yes, yes, yes. And so um, what is the podcast that's going to be there? Okay, all right. This uh, <laughs> enough dancing around the topic yeah. here. We're going to talk to Eric Roberts. There, we I just said it. I said Liam it. Liam and myself are it. going to have a conversation. In fact, a live podcast recording of Eric Roberts is the fucking man with Eric Roberts after the screening of a at this point unknown film. Isn't that correct, Liam? Um, I think uh, I think there will be a screening earlier. They're still working out the details. Okay, well, let's let's make sure. that clear. We're still working out the details. They're still working out the details. But the, the biggest part, the thing that you need to inject into your brain and just keep it there is that Liam and I are going to Chicago in the United States. Yep. And we're going to interview Eric Roberts live on stage. For and like a full episode. Like he's he's committed. He can't leave. He's not allowed. We're bolting the doors Closed. He has to answer every single one of our questions. He can't refuse anything. Isn't that correct, Liam? Now that is not that has <laughs> not, not been written that down. Is not been, no, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't quite agreed to that. I do know that, like you know, we're going to do the Roberts report. I wonder how Eric Roberts will respond when we read his tweets to him. <laughs> he's just going to have to sit there, just like how our guest right now is listening to us, and he's like, "When are they going to introduce me <laughs> so I can participate <laughs> in the show?" <laughs> It'll be just like that. But guest, just hold on a second. This is some big news we're talking about. Oh, my God. It's so big. It is the potential, Lee. It is potentially, I should say, Liam. <laughs> the end of Eric Roberts is a fucking man. I, I can't believe that. I mean, I once said to myself, I was looking in a mirror at the time. I said, Doug, when you finally get your white whale, once you get Eric Roberts on the show, then you got to end it. You got to hit it and quit it, as they say. <laughs> And we we it looks like we're going to have an opportunity. It looks like we're going to have an opportunity to hit Eric Roberts. So shouldn't we just quit Eric Roberts afterwards? Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a good reason we can't, Liam. It mostly has to do with the blood oath that you and I took to cover the life and work of actor Eric Roberts. There's still so much material. We have not we're not even close to done yet. It is a distressingly large amount of material <laughs> yet to cover. Uh, but I do feel like this announcement has given us the cachet to then get bigger and better guests, starting with the guest on this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to push that to the side uh, for more updates. Just look at our, our many uh, social media outlets. And uh, certainly we'll be announcing more as the details come. But this episode's guest is a Las Vegas-based screenwriter. In fact... He's the writer of one of the films we're discussing on this very episode. It's the wonderful Richard Pierce. How are you, Richard? <laughs> I am great. And I got to say, getting Eric Roberts on this particular podcast is like the mystery. It's like the mystery of Al Capone's vault, you know, but like mm -hmm. 10 times <laughs> better because you're going to get Eric Roberts. It's not going to be an empty vault. It's going to be Eric Roberts. 
know? in fact, in fact, now that you said that out loud, don't you think the comparison maybe isn't that apt at all? <laughs> it's actually what I just. We said get there and it's someone in an Eric Roberts wig. <laughs> it's like a vault, but it's Eric Roberts, so it's like so much better. Richard, Who needs I do. I don't want to downplay how excited I am about the Eric Roberts situation we're all discussing right now. But mm-hmm. I have to say, I'm also very excited to be talking to you because you have written a action movie that actually featured Eric Roberts in the cast. That has to be exciting. I put words in Eric Roberts' mouth one time. Yes, absolutely. It's very I mean, we exciting. have two, just in a very different context. <laughs> uh, but but no, you know, Richard, uh, I want to thank you for for uh, for coming on the show. You certainly didn't have to. And I really have so much to talk to you about, about your film Sector 4 Extraction from the year mm-hmm. 2014. But before we get to all that, Richard, what's your life experience with Eric Roberts? <laughs> Uh, I actually grew up uh, a martial arts, low budget martial arts B movies were huge for me. So best mm-hmm. of the best, one through eighty seven, especially the ones with Eric Roberts and them were huge for me as a kid. Um, I, it was really funny. Uh, I, I I was actually the one who I didn't choose him, but I was the one who suggested Eric Roberts for Sector Four oh. um, when they were casting that role. Eric Roberts and this may sound like a dig, but it most certainly is not. Uh, in the B-movie world, there are a lot of actors who, and I'm not saying Eric Roberts is only in the B-movie world. Obviously, the guy does <laughs> huge movies still sometimes. Sometimes. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he, there's a couple guys who have that real blue-collar ethic of, if you pay me, I'll show up. Show up. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Madsen's one of them. Um, he's in Dominic a lot Swain, of, Tom Sizemore. Uh, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, Gary Busey is another guy. Mm. Uh, so when they were casting this particular role in Sector 4, they kind of realized, like, hey, we got this character. All his scenes take place in primarily one location. We can get, like, a day player to come in and n- knock all these scenes out right away. And they, they were tossing a lot of names around. And I was in the room uh, with the producers and the director, and I said Eric Roberts. And everybody – because at first they were thinking – they said Danny Trejo and a few other <laughs> names like that. And I'm like, Eric Roberts, like, how is this not perfect for Eric Roberts? And then they're like, oh, yeah. And then I got a phone call like a week later. They're like, you got to rewrite all that character scenes because we're getting Eric Roberts. And I said, by God, that's awesome. <laughs> you got to rewrite it so he's no longer referring to his machetes that he has on his person <laughs> at any particular moment. <laughs> he did say Bandejo a lot, which is really weird. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Eric Roberts in the movie, and again, we're going to get into that movie in sure. just a little bit. He's playing a character sort of similar to his one in The Expendables, sort of that sleazy, above-it-all type CIA man. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it did seem like a perfect fit, again, once you massage the character to uh, be <laughs> Eric Roberts-like. Or... Maybe we'll get into that in just a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell me, Richard, you mentioned Best of the Best, Best of the Best 2. Would those be your favorite Eric Roberts movies? My favorite Eric Roberts movie is a very strange choice. And actually, this is I, – I, I remember to this day, this is the first R-rated movie I ever saw uh, as a young man. I saw um, – Oh, of course. Uh, it's My Party. Have you guys seen that? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Fantastic drama. It's kind of the polar opposite of what I really like. It's, it's the exact opposite of Best of the Best. But uh, It's My Party is a wonderful movie. My parents let me watch it at, at a young age because it was an R-rated movie. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it had a good – it was a good wholesome you – know, or good message behind it. It had a nice positive message. So they got past me hearing, you know, some curse words and stuff in there. Uh, but that – 
honest to God, uh, I mean, honestly, Runaway Train is a spectacular movie. Um, I like It's My Party. And then you got to go the other route. I mean, if you were to ask me which one I'd want to pop in my DVD player at any time, it would probably be Best of the Best. Um, or my movie, Sector 4 Extraction. Oh, of course. Oh, of yeah, course. of course. Yeah. But before we get into the projects we're discussing today, we need to catch up on all the latest Eric Roberts news on The Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 57 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And yeah, we've already mentioned the biggest news of the week. And again, I don't want to overstate how important that is, but it's pretty much the most important thing that's happened to either Liam or myself, probably in our lifetime. Would that be correct, Liam? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, there was that whole baby thing, but other than that. I really fig- I feel like it's overtaken the baby in terms of 2017 news. Now, you might disagree, but please don't voice that disagreement. Uh, <laughs> I do, I do want to mention right off the bat that, uh, of course, we've mentioned previously, we will have our Eric Roberts is the fucking man t-shirts over at ericrobertsistheman.com. Hopefully at the time uh, when you are hearing this, they are there. They're ready to order. They're ready to be shipped to you. You want to be the first person on your block to tell the world that Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Unless you live on my block, then you would be the second person to let those people know. Uh, as per usual, we start with a deep dive on the Eric Roberts Twitter feed. You can, of course, follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. On August 31st, Eric Roberts tweeted out a quote from the great Tennessee Williams. Liam, I don't let you usually get to read out these, uh, these tweets, so why don't you uh, give us your rendition of this quote? Sure. The world is violent and mercur- mercurial? God mm-hmm. damn it. The world is violent and mercurial. It will have its way with you. We are saved only by love. Love for each other and the love that we pour into the art we feel compelled to share. Being a parent, being a writer, being a painter, being a friend. We live in a perpetually burning building. And what we must save from it all the time is love. Tennessee I Williams. A, I think that's a very nice thought. Uh, and, you know, this has been a tough year, uh, one with a lot of crisis in it. I'm going to turn to you for a second, Richard. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you feel, not, not to get too kind of touchy-feely right after the beginning of the show, but do you think that love has a strong importance in your own life? Does it help you maintain yourself uh, when there's catastrophe all around you? Uh, I'm I'm still just shedding a tear listening to that uh, quote from earlier there from Tennessee Williams. But yes, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I'm a I'm a married fella. I love my wife. It it drives you in the arts, whatever your passion may be. So yeah, I would I would agree with Mr. Roberts on that. Yeah. How would you How do you feel about the year 2017 so far, Richard? Has it been a difficult year for you? Uh, it's crazy. It's one of those dichotomy things where, like, you know, professionally, a lot of awesome things have happened for me, but then you look, you know, turn on the TV every day, and a lot of horrible things are going on. So it's one of those difficult things to juggle. I got married this year. Uh, I've had a lot of great, but there's also been a lot of awful out there in the world. So yeah, it's one of those uh, back and forth type deals, you know. I sometimes think you ever heard of that uh, book, The Secret, Richard? Absolutely. And now I don't know much about that book, except for I I think I've had it broken down for me. Liam, you can correct me on this. It's basically you're visualizing good things happening to you. And as long as you visualize them and I guess put them on your vision board or something, then they will theoretically happen. Is that correct, Liam? 
I think it, it, there's a little bit of like willpower involved, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, basically like the idea is you stay focused on what you want the world to be like in, in your life. And that supposedly that the force of that will help the world go in that direction. And, you know, it's like creating a podcast called Eric Roberts is the fucking man <laughs> with the sole with the sole idea of eventually talking to Eric Roberts. And then you get invited to Chicago to talk to him in person. It feels like this is like our own personal secret. You're just being dishonest right now because you've so long said that you just felt like Eric Roberts, like that was not going to be a real thing. Like, I think I, I feel like I've been misquoted here. Liam, for sure. <laughs> Back on August 26th, Eric Roberts tweeted, it was actually in response to uh, Nev Schulman, who wrote, beautiful to see how science can unite our country, even if only for a few minutes, hashtag solar eclipse 2017. Now, this was in uh, reference to the solar eclipse that recently (laughs) happened. Uh, Eric Roberts commented on this, a few minutes can lead to a few more minutes and maybe even unite our world. I uh, just want to get – I think we already talked about this briefly, Liam, but I want to get your perspective, Richard. How did you feel? Did you feel uh, united with the country as the eclipse was occurring? I'm the only person who didn't look at the thing apparently. So <laughs> I, I guess I felt detached uh, because I was inside writing uh, with the shades drawn, I guess. I, I, don't, I didn't find it particularly enthusing. I, I made sound like an old curmudgeon by saying that, but I, I didn't watch it. So I felt excluded on that one. Well, I guess most of the people in your country were united behind this eclipse, including your the leader of your very country, who decided that it was a good idea to just stare directly at it. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, uh, the, these scientific wonders, they affect all of us in different ways. Liam, you did stare at it, I remember, if, uh, if, if I remember correctly. You stared at it, and you, you actually saw some pretty impressive things. Um, no, that's not true at all. Okay. <laughs> On August 25th, Eric Roberts wrote, It's not showbiz that's filthy. It's people biz that's filthy. Mm. Hopefully the mean shan't inherit the earth. That being said, back to positivity. Uh, I feel like uh, Eric was, uh, you know what? You know what I felt a little bit iffy about in regards to this, Liam? I felt, because on our most recent episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, we said some rather unpleasant and unflattering things about the film After School special. I was worried that we put that negativity out into the world and Eric Roberts felt a little of that negativity. I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, if any negativity was put out into the world in regards to that movie, it was the making of the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, I just want Eric Roberts to know, if he's listening, which I'm sure he is, that we love Eric Roberts. In fact, <laughs> we've created a whole podcast about him. It's called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, and we're 57 we episodes into it. Frankly, it's completely ludicrous that this exists, but here <laughs> we are. The secret has come true. Now, uh, Liam, we've recently on the show been uh, talking about The Terror of Hallow's Eve, uh, a film, a horror film, sort of a throwback movie. Uh, And it it actually premiered at the Fright Fest Film Festival in the UK just a few days ago. And the reviews are in, and they're actually pretty positive. Uh, We have a quote from a review here. Uh, Don't let the familiar tropes fool you. This movie has a message, and it is real and tangible. That is what sets it apart from your run-of-the-mill genre film, you won't be disappointed with this effort. Now, Liam, you have been a little bit, um, I would say, what's the word to use here? You've been a little skeptical about the terror of Hallow's Eve, um, but uh, but it looks like it might be uh, something special. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always willing to give uh, a new sort of genre thing a chance. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I know much about it other than I also noticed a couple of positive reviews coming out of Fright Fest. 
I did send you the trailer, but you, of course, refused to watch no, it. Yeah, Just as you I, refused I, to do any prep work at all for the podcast. I have not tried to spoil my experience of the Terror of Hollow's Eve, which we will, of course, watch because of our blood oath. Richard, did you have any uh, film festival experience uh, with, with uh, Sector 4? Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I did have film festival experience uh, from prior events in my life. I covered uh, when I was in college uh, getting my screenwriting degree. Um, I wrote for my college's, my university's newspaper, and I was their film critic, and I would cover a lot of different film festivals. But no, uh, Sector 4, I guess, wasn't uh, one of those worthy enough to hit up any sort of film festival, believe it or not. Thinking back to your college days, Richard, sure. uh, do you remember any of the films that you were able to experience and write about for your paper? Uh, yeah, there's uh, still one of my favorite documentaries to this day. There's a great documentary called Winnebago Man. Um, of course. Yeah, you've seen it? Great. Uh, I think oh, yeah. it had its world premiere, actually, at Cinevegas in... Las Vegas, obviously, um, and that is still to my de- to this day one of my favorite documentaries ever. It's absolutely hilarious and a really really great movie. For for those who uh, like, uh, it, it's strange to, to refer to things as underground videos in 2017, simply because the <laughs> accessibility is so high now. But uh, the Winnebago Man was, of course, one of the the kind of preeminent underground videos that people shared in the I guess uh, early 90s throughout the early 2000s. And yeah, that documentary is absolutely. Uh, incredible. But we're not here to talk about Winnebago, man. We're here to talk about <laughs> Eyes of the Roshi, which we featured on a previous episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man and it's uh and it's creator really and uh and lead or one of the lead actors Ethan Martin. Uh we just uh, want to announce that it's going to be showing at the ninth annual Burbank International Film Festival taking place from September 6th to 10th. And they're also doing a 20th anniversary screening of Starship Troopers. At the Burbank International Film Festival, so get your ticket for Eyes of the Roshi and stick around for Starship Troopers, which is a movie I very much enjoy. Hey, here's some big news. Over at Variety, they are announced that Turkey has selected a true-life drama Ayla, or maybe Ayla, as a foreign-language Oscar entry. Why should you care, listener? Not only is it a very harrowing-sounding story, it looks very interesting, but it also features U.S. actor Eric Roberts in the cast. Will Eric Roberts be returning to the Oscars? Only time will tell. Uh, Isla or Ayla follows the characters against the background of the war in 1950 and revisit them, revisits them in this century. So we'll be checking out that ASAP, Turkey's official candidate for the best, uh, best foreign film, foreign, for the best foreign language Oscar. Liam, what do you think Oscar nominated Eric Roberts? I'm, uh, is that a question? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's interesting. I would like to know more about this movie. I didn't know that there were Turkish veterans of the Korean War. Um, So I'm interested to know more about that. All right. Well, we will check it out when it becomes available to us. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page. Folks, this is an exciting one. I'm not making it up. It's 2018's Homie Alone. Uh, This was first brought to my attention last week when they released a, a poster for Homie Alone, very much in the style of, surprise, surprise, Home Alone, the uh, the uh, famous children's movie from the early 1990s. Mm, is, never heard of it. No, no, I wouldn't <laughs> expect that you would. From director Vitali Versace, who, uh, according to the IMDb description, <laughs> or sorry, according to his IMDb uh, profile, has strikingly blue eyes. Uh, and also is the director of 2015's <laughs> Silent Screams with Ron Jeremy and 2014's All of Her, as well as 2010's The Last 
Vampire on Earth. Let's uh, let's take a look at the uh, plot description of Homie Alone. When bratty five-year-old Byron Reed acts out right before a family trip, his mother makes him sit in the timeout chair. When Byron awakens to an empty house, he assumes his wish to have no family has come true. Very familiar sounding <laughs> now that I'm reading it. But his excitement sours when he realizes that two con men plan to rob the Reed's residence and that he alone must protect the family home. And then there's, a, there's an addition here that's kind of oddly written. Smart detective play by Eric Roberts, casting by Candace Paul, CSA, a small apartment by Ron Jeremy. I, oh no, it's it's a small. Oh, it's a small a small apparent. I guess that means appearance by Ron Jeremy. So Eric Roberts and Ron Jeremy reunited once oh, again in back together again. 2018's <laughs> Homie Alone. Eric Roberts playing Detective Jack Budin or Budin. Uh, and yeah, so we're all very excited uh, now. When you hear about a project like Homie Alone, Richard, uh-huh. uh, do you feel like some people are getting the opportunities? to make films that you should be doing, right? Like, you should have this opportunity to write Homie Alone. Where's Richard Pierce's Homie Alone? <laughs> I, I sit awake at night, every night, mm-hmm. just in a cold sweat. Where is my Homie Alone? I have a home. I have a wife. Why don't I have a Homie Alone? But, I, I mean, it, I've never done anything in my life that has an apparent. Was it an apparent by? Apparent by Ron Jeremy. I have not reached that level. I mean, I've gotten Eric Roberts, but I've never had an apparent. By Ron Jeremy, no. Well, so keep, I, keep, I mean, yes, absolutely. Richard, keep reaching for the stars, and one day, one day, one day God, you'll have your God own. Willing. God willing, you'll have your own homie alone. Yeah. Liam, are you excited about homie alone? I mean, I want to. I actually like the 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 idea of this style of ripoff of Home Alone is actually enticing to me. Like, I feel like now, oh, sorry, man. Liam, just to stop you there for a second. When you say this <laughs> style of ripoff, what do you what do you mean by that? Uh, in the sense that it, it could be just over the top and ridiculous. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it could just be... I mean, it's not a knock against Home Alone. Like, Home Alone is fine. I guess it's a classic or whatever. I barely remember it. But um, but the idea of, like, we're just going to take it and just be ridiculous with it, you know, like, just a low-budget version, that could be kind of fun, actually. But I, you never know. You This might actually be something where you're like, oh, that was actually a pretty good time. Or it might be difficult to watch. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out, Liam. And you know why we'll find out? Our blood oath to, to watch everything Eric Roberts touches. Our blood oath. That's absolutely correct. It's time to take our first break, Richard and Liam. Mm-hmm. And when we return, we're first going to talk about Sector 4 Extraction, Richard's uh, film. I'm going to call it your film. Everything about it, I guess, is going to be attributed to you, Richard. <laughs> Thank you, um, yes. And then we're going to be watching what? What are we going to be watching after that, Richard? Something you've picked for us. Uh, I made the uh, wonderful decision to watch a 2016 film called The Wrong Roommate by David Dakota. It's a return to the filmography of David Dakota. We're Woo-hoo! working through it. Uh, there's actually, I think, only three more Eric Roberts, David Dakota uh, uh, combinations. Uh, only uh, three? Three <laughs> more that we've yet to tackle. Uh, but we're, we're burning through them in the year 2017, leading up to us actually sitting down with Eric himself to, I guess, discuss <laughs> this, these, uh, these partnerships, so to speak. But yes, we're going to be talking about Sector 4 Extraction. We're going to be talking about the Lifetime movie, The Wrong Roommate. But first, we're going to take our first break. We'll be back right after this. America, fuck yeah, coming again to save the motherfucking day. 
top-secret mission in Sector 4, the most dangerous area of the Middle East, a team of private military contractors known as Black Knight are ambushed and taken hostage. Team leader Nash Olsen escapes captivity and is rescued by the U.S. government only to discover the Black Knight commander, uh, sorry, only to discover by Black Knight commander that a rescue mission is impossible. Forced to choose between his family or upholding the Black Knight motto, no one left behind, Nash begins a one-man rescue attempt to save his team, discovering there may be more to this mission then he thinks it's 2014's Sector 4 Extraction. And I do have to say, I was very excited going into this. Uh, this is something I haven't revealed to you yet, Richard, but I imagine you had similar feelings uh, to me when this when this whole thing started to be uh, to begin. In that you're a big fan of 90s action movies, like Best of the Best. And when you have a name like Olivier Gruner involved with this, uh, the star of Nemesis and Mercenary... Yeah. This is this is a, a person that I used to see on the video shelves as I was going through my local video store all throughout the 1990s. That yep. had to have been very exciting. I want to start by turning to you, Richard, and yes. asking how did this connection occur in the first place? I mean, he his, he certainly uh, Olivier Gruner isn't as prolific now as he was back in the 90s. I mean, and absolutely, I was the same way. Automatic, I don't know if you've seen that one, is absolutely one of my favorite 90s B-action movies. Sure. Another cyborg Olivier Gruner movie because those were hot at the time. So, no, I would rent his movies constantly uh, when I was a kid. So when this opportunity arose, it was – uh, it was I, I was blown away. It was it was a really big opportunity for me, uh, especially you know growing up a fan of the genre. And uh, how it happened was they always say like it, talent can get you so far, but then luck comes in at some point. I'm not saying I'm super talented, but at some point luck has to step in. And you know living in Las Vegas, which is far off from the film industry. Um, there's not much work here. I had done some stuff in college and little shit that no one cares about, little student films and stuff like that. And I was paying my way through college by working as a camera salesman in a uh, Best Buy, um, which okay. was, yeah, I was one of them guys with the big gut and the blue polo shirt working there, <laughs> the stained khakis. And all of a sudden, one day I was doing something just at work, we're looking in a drawer, and all of a sudden I heard a voice. That sounded very familiar. It was definitely uh, had a French accent. And I turn around. I'm like, by God, that's Olivia Gruner right there. And what he was doing is he was buying a DSLR camera for a behind the scenes on another film that he had shot, which came out, uh, I think it was called Regenerator. Right. Um, and he was doing like a behind the scenes thing for it. And I went up talking to him uh, halfway through the conversation, told him, hey, uh, I'm a fan. Uh, I really like your movies. He's kind of taken aback by that because um, I, I don't think that guy gets recognized every day particularly. Right. Um, and it just kind of kept a conversation, came up. I'm a screenwriter. 
And, you know, the number one rule when you do screenwriting, they, they tell you this all the time in class, is like, don't hound people to read your screenplay. No one wants to read a fucking screenplay. They're the most, they're the pain in the ass to read. No one cares. Uh, but I had written a lot of, being a big fan of 90s action movies, I've written a lot of uh, action scripts. And he told me he was looking to make another movie. I sent him some scripts. He kind of liked some. He kind of liked the way I wrote. He had an idea, and then it just began this process of me writing uh, several scripts for him. But the one that got produced and out there was Sector 4. It's it's funny because you're absolutely right. Anyone who knows anything about screenwriting, they know that mantra that you're not supposed to be that irritating person pushing yeah. a script into someone's hands. I've been at too many like Q&As after film screenings where someone says, Mr. Romero, could you read my script? I'm going to come up to you. Know, just the most – everyone just groaning when they hear it. Absolutely, right? yeah. The, the fucked up thing, of course, is that in your case – it worked. I mean, mm-hmm. that, it, it was exactly the right move at that time, which is pretty unbelievable when you think about it. Um, uh, we're going to get into uh, the kind of the meat and potatoes of how that all came together. But I just want to make sure that the listeners know who Olivier Gruner is. Uh, he was a former kickboxing champion and, um, and, and was an action star on a B level in the 90s, as you referred to. He was one of the kind of people that you would see on kind of straight to VHS action movies. Uh, yes. the, the movies of that time period... They tended to have, uh, certainly compared to now, slightly higher production values. I mean, there'd be a lot of explosions and squibs and things like that. And again, a movie like Nemesis is actually a lot of fun. It's actually a really well-made movie considering the talent behind it, if you're a big Albert Pune fan, which I actually (laughs) am. Uh, They actually did a screening in Toronto uh, about a month and a half ago of Nemesis on on 35 millimeter, one of the few remaining prints of that, I think, on 35 millimeter, uh, which wow. which uh, <laughs> some friends of mine uh, put that screening together, and they were very excited <laughs> to be able to show that. But <laughs> but yeah, no. So Olivia Gruner, for a certain kind of person in the 90s who was a, a video store regular, was a name, someone yes, that you would absolutely. recognize, even if you wouldn't ne- necessarily recognize his face. So yeah, that excitement level must have been really high. Before we continue that story, I want to turn to you, Liam. Liam, what did you think of the movie? <laughs> Um, I am not a big 90s action fan, so I had no relationship with Olivier Gruner. Um, and so I I didn't go in expecting much other than I've seen a few of these, um, uh, Afghanistan sort of focused, uh, movies before. Um, so I, I was kind of thinking like, well, this could be a little, uh, corny. It could be kind of fun. There could be like some fun action going on, and uh, there's a lot of things to say about the movie. But the, the thing I was the most surprised at was the number of training sequences. <laughs> there's a lot of Olivier Gruner training, and in such a variety of ways. Like we get to see him doing MMA. We get to see him doing uh, what looks to be like a trigun sort of training sequence he does a variety of krav maga techniques and he also has a big inflatable ball that he likes to roll around on (laughs) oh yeah well that's like a that's a uh, that's a pretty well-known like he's opening his hips up for the mma he's gonna do some grappling i I, i'm i'm not mocking him the man is obviously an incredible athlete that's part of his defining characteristic as an action star and even that sequence at that point in the movie when he's doing that it it doesn't necessarily make sense in the plot but it's not distracting it because i'm like oh yeah he wants to see he's tough i'm into it but (laughs) after a while it's like how many times can i see him pull his his you know gun out his 45 or whatever before it just starts to get boring like okay he's yep no he's getting faster he's really getting faster pulling that gun out and it's there, there was a lot of 
sections like that that I would have rather seen him beating up terrorists. I mean, that's all the movie really <laughs> is. Is like they go in, it goes wrong, then he goes back. I mean, it's like the classic thing. But instead of giving us all the sweet, sweet violence that we want, there's a, just a lot of him learning gun grabbing techniques and all kinds of trading sequences, which don't even come with a sweet montage. Like if you're going to do that, give me some eighties jams and you know, maybe I'll get into it, but that's not even, it's very serious and it has this sort of, I don't get this. I don't know where they find these songs for a lot of these kind of, uh, very, uh, military-esque action like action movies that are trying to be more connected to actual military experiences and not sure. just like over the top sometimes they'll have this like uh staccato drum beat kind of like remix thing it's like <laughs> someone took an actual military marching man and tried to like lightly remix it i don't know where they find this stuff but it's terrible and it's like no this this should be a guitar solo not like crazy it, I actually, again, not to, to disagree with you too harshly, I actually thought the soundtrack was one of the, 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 the higher quality aspects of the movie. I felt like it's kind of diverse in a way that didn't just feel like stock music throughout. But hey, that's just me. Back to you, Richard. So now you have connected with the great Olivier Gruner. You have a <laughs> script that he wants to make into a movie. Now, I should ask before we get into that, were there any uh, movies that kind of influenced the script that you were putting together? Some uh, some reviewers have, have connected it to some of the action movies at the time, but I got a big kind of Rambo First Blood Part 2 vibe out of it. Absolutely, uh, yes, 100%. Uh, I looked at it as, I mean, Expendables was super hot at the time. Sure. I obviously ate that shit up. Um, I, I loved the Expendables when it came out, which features Eric Roberts, of course, mm-hmm. um, as everyone knows. Um, so, I mean, Expendables influenced it. I kind of just wanted to write a really fun um, missing in action. Take like the Chuck Norris uh, sure. element mm-hmm. of a Vietnam mm-hmm. movie, throw it in modern day. But my script was really, I don't want to say it was goofy, but it was fun. It was lighthearted. It was about a team of mercenaries going to rescue, basically like a B squad going to rescue an A squad of mercenaries. Ah. Very goofy, very silly. And it got stripped down and changed so much. Like my favorite note I ever got of all time has come from Sector 4, where the entire script I had originally was about a team of mercenaries going. <laughs> To save another team of mercenaries. And the note I got was, hey, can we take that team of the the B team, the heroes, and put it all in one guy? And I'm like, that's, I mean, that that's a whole different movie. And they, they were like, yeah, but we, we have Olivier Gruner. I'm like, okay, so I guess it's a different movie then. So, I mean, what the original script was basically was like a ground one or a ground zero rewrite. And um it became what it is today. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, Leah mentioned over the top with the, the music. And that's kind of what my script was. There was a lot of one-liners. Uh, sure. And not, not super cheesy, I don't think. I think it, if it would have been done right, it may have been a decent little movie. But uh, I, I'm not uh, screenwriting, uh, you know, I'm not Shane Black or anything like that. But I think I wrote a fun little movie and it just got stripped down. And the tone is what changed the most. Sure. Uh, especially, like, I... I Personally, I guess one of the few things I do like in the movie is the music. I do agree with you on that. Uh, but even the music is so deathly serious and like yes, that's it's true. A com- it's so it's a complete dichotomy to what the tone is I had originally to what it became. It sounds like it listens to like the the Dark Knight soundtrack uh, rather than something that's kind of fun and lighthearted, which is what I wanted it to be. I just I, I I don't I have problems with that super serious like I get like it's it's not that the music is low quality yeah but for what I want to see in a movie like this I don't 
I guess I just don't need that serious of a war movie, especially. Well, it has with a lot sort of that, thing. like that, like rat a tat tat, you know, like yeah. a JV yeah, yeah, marching yeah. band at high school or something like that. It sounds very corny military, but then there's a few little moments there. Listen, I I, I take whatever I can get with that movie. I am, <laughs> so, I, I acknowledge completely it's not a great movie. Uh, I, I've seen it. I'm a rational person, uh, so I, parts of the music I, I'm okay with, but the training montages, uh, well, we'll get into that. I'm sure, but yes, uh, there's yeah. lots of things like that. Now, Olivier Gruner directed the movie. Now, I should ask, mm. he has a story credit on the movie as well. Is that because he told you to take the script that you wrote <laughs> and to make him basically uh, an unstoppable military machismo man in it? I had a script. He had an idea. Ideas are easy. Scripts are hard is mm. the way I look at it. I'm not putting anything down here, but like he wanted to do a missing in action type movie without saying missing in action. I don't think sure. he's ever seen those movies. Uh, but like he wanted to do that kind of man on a mission rescue in Afghanistan movie. I had something similar. The people who financed the movie, you know, no one just hands over hundreds of thousands of dollars without seeing a script. I know they liked the script. Um, and then when it got to the actual production part is where it changed. So, yeah, I mean, it, the story by credit really is kind of him, you know, saying, I want to do a man on the mission movie. It takes place in Afghanistan. It stars me. <laughs> Uh, and that was about that was about where the notes ended from him. He needed to give some details. Uh, again, in perfect low budget fashion, they did have like a set list, a checklist of here's the action beats we want to have. They wanted a right. skydiving scene. They wanted uh, this and that, and of course, all those things wound up getting cut, and they just replaced them with training montages because those are cheap <laughs> to film. So, you spent some time on set, yes. including with with a small speaking part in the movie. How would you describe Olivier Gruner's directing style? I mean, you know, there was a there was a lot of newer people working on this movie. A lot of people who hadn't done a movie. I sound this doesn't sound right. A, a lot of people who hadn't done a movie this big. This movie did sure. cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It wasn't obviously a big Hollywood movie. It, it definitely was low budget, but there was a lot of people there who were inexperienced, didn't know what they were doing, didn't care. Uh, and you know, I show up to set to visit and it was a hell of a time. I, I enjoyed every minute of being on sure. set, but it, it was, there was a lot of things changed. And again, the tone is just the biggest thing. I think when it became a deathly serious movie and very dramatic, there were no dramatic death scenes in my script or anything like that. So seeing those kind of injected in there. It, it kind of was difficult when I was on set. So his directing style was very, very heavy on the drama, like very right. much asking actors, what, what is your feeling in this moment? And it's in my mind, I'm like, who, who fucking cares? Like this is a fun, <laughs> dopey action movie is what it should be at the end of the day. Uh, but he was, his directing style was very much uh, about character. And um, I don't know, I, I, very much about character and emotion, I guess. I'm sure you didn't have to ask about your own character's motivation. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so okay. So you're you're on set. You you at that point already know that the tonal uh, aspect of your script has been switched around a little bit, and that what you're going to end up seeing is probably not going to resemble whatever it is you had in your head when you were when you were putting that script together. Did you <clears> have any sort of working relationship with with uh, Olivia Gruner at that time and that did he ever come to you for suggestions in in terms of changing the script at that point uh not really a lot of that was determined by the dollar I think and sure. so as 
as scenes got cut back, like originally they they were hard. Like they came to me and said, "We can do a skydiving scene. Put that in the movie somewhere. We don't care where." And you know, I put it in there, and I thought I made a logistical decision that okay, it would kind of fit here. And sure. then all of a sudden, they're like, "Skydiving, get we can't afford it anymore." And it's like, "Oh well, that kind of was you know to get from A to C, you need B, and B was the skydiving scene." And you mentioned the scene I'm in. That's a total A to C moment where uh, <laughs> they didn't film a B, and so they had to scramble, and that's what became uh, my scene. And uh, I am not an actor. Uh, the two other people in that scene are my high school buddies who I've been friends with for 15 years. Uh, we uh, filled in for actors who didn't show up, and it was a hell of a fun afternoon. <laughs> didn't make for a great scene, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's it is sort of that dream, though, right? You have this action star that you grew up watching. Yeah. Now you and your high school buddies are in a scene with him, directing yeah. him where he, to get his explosives for the big explosive finale of the movie. Uh, my I friend mean, it, got tackled by Olivier Gruner in the movie. It looks like <laughs> shit, but my buddy still to this day will be like, "Hey, that guy tackled me in a movie. I did a stunt." So yeah, it's a, uh, you know, that that was probably the worst scene in the movie, but uh, we'll we'll probably get to that. Uh, Liam, I know that you didn't necessarily enjoy the movie start to finish, but were there any sequences that you thought, you know, this showed potential for something more than what we had? Hmm. (laughs) I mean, was was it the scenes with the child where they have the gigantic American flag in the background? No, no, definitely not. Uh, I mean, okay, so I I actually kind of like there's a suggestion in the film of some pretty nefarious sort of like undermining activities from Eric Roberts character, who is, uh, you get hints. He's not a good guy in the movie, but he could have been like kind of the arch villain in a way that like, it's not the terrorists who are the actual bad guys. It's Mm -hmm. actually Eric Roberts character. And if that had been built out more, I actually would have been so stoked on that, but it's, it's a little light. And I, and I think they do what they can with him because clearly he was there for like a day, Mm -hmm. but, but I, you know, I think if that had played out a little bit more, that could have been kind of cool. Uh, And anytime you show, there's there's actually a number of shots of these uh, of of the actors playing terrorists or Al Qaeda or whatever, and um, it would have been interesting since it is more of a dramatic movie than a balls out action movie. It would have been interesting for those characters to be characters, like to see like nuances in them or something, as uh, because they talk a lot. But then a lot of their talking is not actually subtitled. So it's just people just making sounds for no reason. And so I mean, they're they're speaking Arabic, Liam. Let's not downplay the fact that they are saying (laughs) words. You just don't understand what they are. Let's. But that's the problem, Doug. A, they're in Afghanistan. So should they be speaking Arabic or should they be speaking, you know, Pashto or whatever? Or and and I'm not convinced that they're not just making sounds like it it doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I'm not a language expert, but they very easily could have just been saying anything. And I wouldn't know. And it doesn't matter anyway, because they're not subtitling them. So it's like it's they're just there to be a visual prop. And like that part was like, oh, well, since we are serious and we are showing a lot of these people it'd be interesting to see them like have lives of some kind um but like i i don't know it's still again like we we're kind of being more on the negative side um please do (laughs) but i mean it could have been it it, could have been a lot worse and i 100 as much as i'm harping on the on the training sequences 
I, I should own up to like the first time I'm seeing Olivier Gruner, who is not a young man doing the MMA stuff. I was like, sure. All right. This is a tough older gentleman. And I'm into it. Like I was like stoked. It's really just the extent of it, which is clearly acting as filler for a lack of other action sequences. I, I just 100% wanted... correct. Absolutely. Richard, I want to actually touch on a point that Liam made when you're dealing with real life events, when you're building an action movie around actual <sighs> conflict in the real world there's the potential for things to go awry in an insensitive type way yep without knowing what your original script looked like when you saw the changes especially the tonal changes were you concerned that the final result might have looked particularly insensitive i hated every minute of it um (laughs) i'm being serious on this one like it was i almost found it offensive I don't want to say offensive because I'm not super sensitive about this stuff, I guess, particularly. Sure. But I did find, you know, and it, it it can all be summarized with, I don't know if you guys sat through the whole end credits, but I remember at one point, <laughs> at one point, Gruner texted me and said, hey, I want to have a dedication for the fallen soldiers of the U.S. military at the end of the movie. And I, he mentioned that to me, and I'm like, wrong fucking movie to do that in, dude. Like, this is a low-budget kind of exploitation movie is what I perceived. And bringing real-life ugly into a movie like this, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think is appropriate. So when it became... Like, listen, if you were to do a modern day missing in action, it would take place in Afghanistan. And like, sure. I, that's where I kind of stopped. I was like... Bad guys are fun. In my script, Eric Roberts was the big, it's exactly what you were saying. Eric Roberts was the big bad villain. Um, and it kind of was like, you know, taking a real serious tone like that, I hated it. Because I think this movie is not, this is not the vehicle to have a serious message in. Uh, you know, even movies like Lone Survivor or like actual real movies that are f- fantastic films. I I personally don't like seeing a lot of that real life ugly in movies so sure a movie like this as poorly represented as it was i do think it came off kind of offensive and i i i feel bad that my name's attached to that part of it um and i'm glad you kind of hit on that because it, it is something that like it, it bothered me a little bit because that's so not what i wrote um and it, it just wasn't uh anything pleasant uh, it, i i think and like you said subtitles to that just shows the laziness of some people that were involved with the, the production. Like, you know, you have actors who, and all of those guys were fantastic actors. Sure. The guy who plays the lead terrorist, he had to leave early on one of the days of shooting because he was shooting a commercial with uh, the Dos Equis thing, the oh, most right. interesting man of the world. Yeah. Like he had a real paid gig to go shoot the Dos Equis commercial after he left the sector four set. And, you know, that guy was fantastic. I forget his name now, but he was a wonderful guy and great actor. They translated all the dialogue. In my script, all the terrorists spoke English in perfect 90s action movie form. <laughs> uh, they translated all of it. They probably improvised a little bit. So what was in the script isn't exactly what they said, which is my guess as to why they're not subtitled, because the editor didn't speak Arabic or whatever language uh, it was. I'm pretty sure they were speaking Arabic. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Uh, But the editor clearly didn't speak that because he just didn't bother subtitling things. And to me, I remember when I saw the movie for the first time, I'm like, why? Why show them talking if we're not going to hear what they're saying? Like, I wrote words like just throw those (laughs) up on the screen. (laughs) I took the time to type it. Just throw it up there. But uh, no, I would very much agree with that. And you also mentioned the American flag thing, which I I think is just when I showed up to the set and they were shooting a scene in a living room showing how, you know, every typical American household has a giant American flag against the living room wall. 
Uh, when I showed up, I thought, okay, that's a little much, but uh, whatever, that's fine. But then I go and look at it, and the American flag was, it was literally like hung up with like thumbtacks on the wall. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> take that down, please. Like, don't, you don't need to have it that broad uh, as a statement. So, no, I mean, a political statement or anything like that, this is not the movie to do that in. And I, I feel bad that my uh, <laughs> credit's on there in some way, as far as that goes. So, Olivier is a real-life former Marine. And I, 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 I don't know. I, <laughs> I mean, that's what he says. <laughs> for, for the purpose of, of what I'm going to say next, he is. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. Did you ever get the impression from talking to him that he – I'm going to be careful in my wording here – that he had sort of a jingoistic, uh, conservative viewpoint on the conflict <laughs> – in Afghanistan that I, I, might, I, might have prompted this sort of pro-America, rah, 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 you know, go there and kill all the terrorists type mentality? I mean, anyone who watches, I, I'll, I'll let the movie speak for itself on that. I, As far as him personally, I have no idea. I was never particularly close with the guy. Sure. Um, I worked with him. I wrote many scripts for him. Uh, we had a very good working relationship for a long while and uh, haven't talked to him much lately. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as that goes personally, I have no, I have no idea. Uh, but as far as the movie, if you were to let the movie speak for itself, I, I think that's in there. And yeah. I don't think that was in my script at all. So who knows? I, I don't know. I guess you'd have it's... to look at whose name is in the credits. the most. <laughs> it's actually really confusing because it's such an amalgamation of this sort of pro-America sort of, it, it, it has this propaganda feel to it, but I'm yeah. not used to those sorts of propaganda e movies that are also vanity projects. Like usually, <laughs> usually if you're sort of inflating one thing, you lay off inflating the other, but this mm -hmm. really wants to be both about him being awesome and America being awesome. But then also kind of like a maudlin reflection on the sacrifices we ask of soldiers. Like, it's really got like a, but what about his family aspect too, which I'm like, <laughs> we're really trying to hit a lot of different beats here, guys. And, and my bit... Sorry, go, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, was... going to say, is he's not even a, he's not even in the army, right? He's yes. also a mercenary, which <laughs> makes it even more complicated. Correct. Well, no, and I mean, like, that's that was the biggest thing for me is in my mind, I wrote a movie about mercenaries. Those guys... Sure. That's, I mean, mercenaries aren't soldiers. That, right. Like, he treated mercenaries as if they were a branch of the military. Right. And that's not how it works. And, you know, again, Expendables, they're mercenaries and they're fun. Like, you right. know, they're killing people, but it's in a <laughs> fake country. And I understand my original <laughs> script did take place in Afghanistan, but it was, I hate to say fun because, you know, it, I guess it did have that tone, but there were no monologues or voiceovers or, uh, no one left behind or anything like that. <laughs> How many times, Richard, in your script did you have no one left behind uh, written? So, okay, well, all right, fine, we'll tell this story. So the movie was running short. They didn't have enough to reach the 90-minute mark. So he wanted to end the movie on a voiceover, um, which the movie ends on. He's at the Grand Canyon with his son, <laughs> and they wanted to pad it a little bit with a monologue, which they also added one to the beginning, too. Mm -hmm. Um and so he called me and was like, hey, we need uh, – basically, I need a voiceover. Uh, it needs to be like 45 seconds or however long it was. And uh, I wrote that, and he goes, I really want to stress the no one left behind thing <laughs> because I had written that line in my script. Uh, and so he really wanted to – he loved that line. He went apeshit for that line. So it was, let's really work that in here in my end monologue. Uh, so I would say in my original script, it was said once, maybe twice. I do think on the – 
on their patch on the Black Knight patch because they they spent money on costumes for this movie, so they all had these patches that said Black Knight, and I think the patch said No One Left Behind. Uh, so it kind of became a motto in sure. his eyes, I guess, of the movie. Which, whatever, I don't know. Uh, but, and it for the end monologue, it became a much heavier thing than what it was in the script for sure. It's just we're we're not given a pretty broad scope of Black Knight, and so what we see yeah. is it's on the patch, and this guy says it a lot. And then other and then other than those two things, no one gives a fuck about it. It's it's literally like it feels like a, it's a corporate motto. Like it's like uh, it really feels like it's a movie about Burger King. And this one guy's going, but it says I should have it my way. And everyone else, and everyone else is going like, who cares? Like it doesn't matter. But he's like, no, it says it on the patch. It matters to me. I actually want to give Richard credit here that by turning it on its head at the end to say that, you know, by leave, not leaving anyone behind, that should include your family who you are leaving behind every time you, you do this yeah. kind of thing. It actually does add that extra element, uh, whether it's earned or not, especially, I guess, because it is Olivia Gruner's actual son that he's going to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I wonder if uh, did the budget pay for that trip? Anyway, I don't, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if you know the answer to that. I, I, I think actually. we're, we're focusing very heavily on the negative here, and I don't want to make this too negative. I don't think that's very fair to you or the film. But no. I want to say, Richard, when you watch the movie, is there any part of it that you feel does reflect the script that you wrote or that you enjoy more out of the, 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 entire, uh, the entire film? The, the only fun – the one scene – it was really weird. The one scene was the very first scene they ever shot that is most reflective of my script is where he's – and I mean, at the end of the day, it's still not a great scene, but it's – in my opinion, the best scene in the movie, aside mm-hmm. from Mr. Eric Roberts, um, <laughs> is the scene where he's getting the car. There's kind of a back and forth with these Russian yes. uh, <laughs> dealers. That scene is straight out of my script, word for word. And I, like to me, maybe it's because I wrote it. I'm being selfish here. I thought that scene, I loved that scene. I thought that scene was fun. And since that was the first thing they shot, that was the first thing I saw dailies of. And I'm like, sure. oh my God, this is this is great. This is what Hollywood's like. Here I come. And then, you know, the movie slowly derails. But I, I think that scene was kind of reflective of it because it was fun, kind of fun. There's a little action beat in there. Not really, but a little bit of an action beat. And uh, so I would say that's the best. And uh, all the Eric Roberts stuff, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on the Eric Roberts is the fucking man <laughs> podcast. Anyone who knows me knows that the proudest moment I have out of Sector 4 is all the Eric Roberts stuff uh, that was in there. It was, a, a, it was a, a blast to see him say words I wrote. I'm glad that you brought up that particular, uh, really those two scenes, first with the Russian arms dealer and then with the, the vehicle aspect. I actually, you're right. It's really the only lighthearted yeah. aspect of the entire movie. There's a little bit of humor there. You have these kind of sketchy characters. You you finally get to see Olivier Gruner take advantage of that training montage aspect <laughs> where he actually does disarm a guy who then disarms him and then he pulls a gun at the same time. And it's actually, yeah. it gives you kind of that that sense of him as this sort of action movie god that you don't yeah. get from the dark gunplay that happens in the no. rest of the movie. Yeah, it really could have used a little bit more of that. I do have to say that, unfortunately, the end of that sequence with the uh, with the vehicle is spoiled a little bit by a boom mic that boom just mic. kind of yep. <laughs> fucking flies into the middle of the screen. Right That's ridiculous. That <laughs> yeah, was so ridiculous. And I'm pretty sure, because I saw an early cut of the movie where the, the car drives away at one point and they just left the license plate on there. I'm pretty sure it was a California plate. And I actually think, because I think showing plates in movies still is not allowed to right. this day. I'm pretty sure Lionsgate had to come in when they released the movie and blurred the license plate. So if you watch the scene closely, <laughs> as the car is pulling away, it's just arbitrarily blurred. Like, 
like nudity on TV back in the day. Like they would just put the pixelation over like boobs or something like that in movies. Right. The license plate is pixelated. And I'm pretty sure Lionsgate had to do that because they're like, well, we don't want to get sued by whoever owns that plate or whatever happens. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe, hey, maybe these Russian guys, they got the car from California and they brought it True. over. I mean, could have been. Who knows? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah. Let's talk about Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, yes. the star of Sector 4. <laughs> <laughs> Top built. Top, now you uh, mentioned, I believe it was before we uh, we started recording here, that you uh, that they were going through some names that could have potentially played the part, and you felt that Eric Roberts was the man for this job. I will take. I don't take credit for much in this movie, but I will take full credit for Eric Roberts being in this movie. Not really, but I'll, I'll take credit for <laughs> suggesting him. Uh, yeah, they were tossing around names because I, I think I said this in the before interview too but this is in no way a dig at eric roberts or any one of these actors but there are a lot of actors out there who have no problem doing like day spots you know sure. you, you pay them their fee they'll show up and you know thank god because i don't think this movie would have gotten distribution without having eric roberts name on there you know having olivia gruner may not be enough to sell a movie but having eric roberts and olivia gruner that's kind of a combo that might some sure. company like lionsgate may be like oh okay we'll throw that out there on dvd so they were tossing around names for, you know, we can get this villain in the movie. He can be pretty much shot out in one day. Who do they want? They were tossing out names like uh, Gary Busey was one, uh, Michael Madsen, Tom Sizemore, and I remember Michael Pere was on there too, which kind of surprised <laughs> right? me. And they're throwing around all these names, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, at first I was like, Busey, yeah, throw him in this. Just throw sure. him in this shit show. See how crazy that gets. Um, but then I thought about it, and... I mean, Eric Roberts, because he, you know, he he does his share of work. And I threw that name out there. And one of the producers had an in with him. They had kind of done some work with him in the past. And I remember the meeting kind of ended. And a few days later, I got a text from Mr. Gruner and the producer as well saying, hey, we got Eric Roberts. Go rewrite all their scenes and <laughs> Robertsify them, kind of like, make them uh, work for him better. And hey, that's how it happened. <laughs> Liam, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in Sector 4? Uh, I really liked it actually. All three minutes of it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's definitely uh, you know we've seen enough of these movies that we can tell when it's one of these things where he kind of just showed up and did yeah. a day, and they just cut those scenes in. But he's doing his Eric Roberts thing. He's sufficiently smarmy. He clearly is like not concerned for these guys' safety. Like that. This is just one of the characters that he can nail. Um, yeah. th this this sort of uh, character is something he can do and do it well, and it it brings a bit of energy to the to the movie when he shows up. You know, like uh, I, again, you guys already said this, but other than the scene with the with the uh, Russian slash Kazakhstan whatever folks. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of energy to the movie, you know. There's not a lot of characters doing a lot, so uh, that those scenes with Eric Roberts kind of inject a little bit of oomph to to those to aspects of the film. It also, Absolutely. I think, adds in a, another layer of it. Kind of moves us away from so sort of the. I hate to use the word propaganda because I don't really think of it that way, but sort of that rah-rah America aspect of it because you have this person kind of pulling the strings in the background who's just as scummy as any of the villains that we see. And it might even be yeah. worse if, if, depending on your perspective. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you entirely, Liam. It is a kind of character that we've seen before in The Expendables and elsewhere, but it also – it uh, it kind of grounds the movie and it keeps us mm -hmm. kind of focused on the plot because it does sort of lose focus, especially in that last half hour when suddenly it does become – 
you know, Olivier Gruner Rambo coming back to save his buddies who are POWs. And he manages only to bring one back, which I guess some <laughs> some men left behind. Uh, I like, by the way, that he has, like, all of the wives of these mercenaries, they all hang out together. <laughs> right, <laughs> and, you know, th- throw their kids pizza parties. And the... Because the, the, uh, that's what Olivier- Americans do. They hang out and have pizza parties, right? They're all like our husbands are away so often, you know, in Afghanistan fighting terrorists. <laughs> but but it's like when he has to go back and get the 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 captured mercenaries, those are the husbands of those wives who and like his wife, Olivia Gruner, or actually his ex-wife that he lives with for reasons that I are not necessarily uh defined. He, he she's like do not. You got to stay here with your kid. Let someone else take care of it. Like, that must make a rocky relationship with her friends who are the wives of these people who are being held by terrorists. It's a yeah. – anyway, I, I may have had some issues that I didn't voice <laughs> regarding the movie. Uh, please do. I mean, like, the, you hit a good note there, which, which was a buddy of mine. He, he knew I was writing a movie and he knew it was coming out and we were hanging out one night. And we all decided to sit around like five or six of us guys and have some beers and watch the movie. And at the end of the movie, because that whole no one left behind became such a, a, a big emotional beat in the movie, which it mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to be, but it became that. A friend of mine, like when the movie was over, you know, everyone's kind of quiet. No one wants to hurt my feelings. And I have a pretty thick skin about this. Like, <laughs> I realize it's not a good movie. He kind of turned to me. He goes like, he was like, but he did leave people behind and half his team's dead. And I'm like, that's a pretty good point because <laughs> the team motto really didn't hold up that well because... Fifty percent of his team's dead. Well, it's it doesn't work on both ends, right? Like in the sense of he is not very good at rescuing them. Well, one of them <laughs> just sort of dies on his own. That's not really his yep. fault. But yeah. but anyway, he's not very good at rescuing them. But then on the other end, it's like that scene, the pizza party, doesn't serve any other purpose. No. Than to make it worse when his friends die. Like it's not like we see those women again ever. The rest no. of the film. They're never around. They're not. They're not helping his wife out. They're not spending time with his kid while he's over in Afghanistan. The pizza party only serves the purpose to make it more painful that he only saves one guy. Other than that, it's it's a completely useless scene. And it, it serves no. And it doesn't even succeed at that. I don't think. Like no. the, the whole wives thing. I remember. Like that was one of the things that they really were pushing to have in the script. And like it, you know, I, I, w- they I miss, will admit they I, miss having sex with their husbands, Richard. I feel like oh that was the Lord. real, real important part of the scene. They I, really want to have sex because they're women, you see, and that's what they and, want. They want their muscular mercenary husbands to come home and have sex with them. Correct, because all women do is make pizza and have sex with men, right? According to listen, <laughs> and that was drink the, wine. Come on, guys. <laughs> that was the like that to me was more appalling than anything else I heard. <laughs> When I heard that line, which I will go on record as saying, I think doesn't one of the girls say, uh, "All I want is sex, peace, and uh, something." (laughs) When I heard that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, no, please don't say that in a movie with my name written by on it. Like, that was so not in my script, and like, apparently that was an important beat they wanted to hit, and I, I, that was that that to me, I was like, no, that that doesn't. It doesn't work. Let let's say a, a you know a stereotypes aside. Let's say it was in there for that purpose. It didn't even serve the purpose it was trying to go for. So it just it made no sense to me. At I all. mean, I think the saddest thing about those poor men not returning home to America is that their wives 
have to go, you know, they, they can't have sex with them anymore because they died in Afghanistan. It's They'll never have sex sad. again, actually. Right. That's right. That's right. They can't have sex again. That's Who are really they going to make pizza for now? That's right. Well, yeah. well there's, there's still children, of course. dozens of children. They're just waiting for that delicious pizza. They're very excited. And so Speaking many children. Kids. Really quick, I will say uh, Olivia Gruner's son uh, in the movie, he was a great kid. He was actually, he delivered some of the better performances. I mean, he's a kid and he's new at this and I think he was given acting a shot. He actually, I thought he did a really good job in the movie um, for the emotional beats. I think the the son carried a lot more weight in the emotional beats they were going for with that father-son relationship. I I thought he did a really good job in the movie. So I I will give a lot of credit to uh, uh, that kid. He did a, a really good job in the movie, I thought. The the son's name is Nash. Is that oh why the God. lead char- character? Yeah, is named that Nash? was that was a nightmare. He like there was a few beats. A Gruner uh, really wanted his character's name to be Nash, and I'm like, okay, great. And then I meet his son eventually on set, and I'm like, this is my son Nash, and I'm like, like I'm like, all right, this is gonna be a, so confused. And I forget the kid's name in the actual movie. It's something super like innocuous, like America, like a uh, Max or something. Yeah, it's like Max. That. Max is, it Max is the name. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> it was one of those things. I think he, I think he did a good job, though. We've come to that part of the show where I have to ask the both of you the the very title of what this podcast is about is Eric Roberts, the fucking man in Sector Four. I'm going to start with you, Liam. I think you've already made it pretty clear. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Yeah. I mean, I really, I, I really feel like if I ever do decide to make a movie i need to have the eric roberts fund so i can bring him in for a day and he can spice up whatever whatever movie i'm making which will clearly not even be as good as this one so but it it, he adds he adds something to the movie he really does and it's uh you know it's it's money well spent because uh it's a real benefit for it Sure, which is what you hope for when you actually get Eric Roberts in for a day. You want to make sure that you get that kind of uh, Eric Roberts push. Uh, yeah, totally. Is it, Richard, is it true that in the UK this movie is called This Means War? Yes, and I actually have a DVD copy of that. My dad got on eBay because he was so thrilled his son got a movie <laughs> produced. He hopped on eBay and bought me a, a UK, uh, I think it's on Blu-ray, and it is titled This Means War. Richard, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in the film that you wrote, Sector 4, Extraction? I mean, aside from his performance alone, which I think speaks for itself, as you guys have kind of said, he does elevate the movie. This, My wife is not super into movies, I won't lie. When uh, I said, hey, honey, Sector or uh, Eric Roberts is going to be in the movie, she didn't really know who he was. <laughs> but the one time she has ever felt that I was super cool – was about a year ago she was watching Grey's Anatomy. And, of course, she had seen Sector 4. She knows this guy, Eric Roberts, whoever that is, is in my movie. I'm in the office writing, and I hear screaming, get in here now, get in here now. I run into the room expecting someone to be dead in there, but no, she's saying, look at this. And in that episode of Grey's Anatomy was Eric Roberts. And she goes, that's the guy from your movie. And she she thought I was the coolest guy on earth right there. So if nothing more than that, uh, yes, Eric Roberts is the fucking man in this movie. And he signed a copy of my script. Someone in the crew gave him a copy of the script, and he I I wound up getting it. And that was uh, fucking cool. He's an awesome dude. He gives a good performance. So he is the fucking man in Sector 4. Eric Roberts saving relationships, saving movies. (laughs) I will agree. Eric Roberts is the fucking man in Sector 4 Extraction. Uh, I believe you can pick that up on iTunes. You might be able to pick up a physical copy on Amazon. Hey, you should check it out. I'm sure every cent of what you pay for it will go right into the pocket 
of right in my pocket, baby. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, you should. You know, I think if only for the Eric Roberts content, everyone yeah. should check it out. And of course, to give a big thumbs up at the screen when Richard's name comes up. We're yes. going to take our next break. When we return, we're going to talk about another movie chosen by Richard. It's David Dakota's The Wrong Roommate from 2016. We're going to discuss that right Ooh. after this. My roommate is turning into a monster. His nose hairs are getting longer and longer. I don't know what he's seen, but his eyes are turning bright green. Following a breakup with her unfaithful fiancé, a young college professor agrees to live at her sister's and watch over the home and her 17-year-old niece. Unbeknownst to her, a gorgeous tenant who is friendly to her young niece is living in the guest house. But things aren't that simple, as this mysterious stranger turns out to have a troubled past with dangerous consequences. It is 2016's The Wrong Roommate, directed by the legendary David Dakota. And we have featured six of his movies on wow. the Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast. That includes 2013's A Talking Cat, 2014's Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper, 2013's Bonnie and Clyde Justified, 2002's Wolves of Wall Street, 2012's A Halloween Puppy. Uh, there was also that uh, movie about Jesse James that I did not list here. I think that's who it was. And 2015's Amityville Death House, which he did not direct but did produce uh it was also the wrong roommate was written by matthew jason walsh who's a regular uh contributor to david dakota movies he's also the writer of 2016's the wrong child 2017's the wrong student and 2017's the wrong crush uh the first thing i want to note about the wrong roommate is that there is no roommate in this movie um The, the the gorgeous young gentleman uh, that uh, was at the center of that plot summary I just read out, uh, he's actually a tenant. He, he is renting uh, a different kind of portion of the house. He's not like he's not sharing the house proper, which is this, by the way, this giant, gorgeous location uh, that they must have probably shot another five movies on at mm-hmm. the same time. Uh, it is sort of designed in... At first, it's actually a little confusing at who you you are supposed to think the wrong roommate is. It's not actually revealed until about halfway through that this big secret that this uh, this this guy has is that he's basically been hired by the ex-husband, the unfaithful fiance, I should say, of our lead character to seduce her and then kind of dump her, or at least come off as being creepy, so then the uh, ex-fiancé can rush in and save the day. However, that plan doesn't really make a lot of sense, because the ex-fiancé keeps showing up in creepier and creepier ways throughout, <laughs> really just pushing his uh, his uh, his ex-fiancé away. But I want to I wanna get both of your thoughts on this. I'm glad that we've gotten away from the Sector 4 aspect. Everyone can take a deep breath and think yeah. about how much they enjoyed 
The Wrong Roommate. Richard, you're our guest. What did you think of The Wrong Roommate? First, you know, I was thinking about apologizing at first, but the more I hear you describe it, the more I think it's better than Sector 4. So I, <laughs> I, I, I have no issue. Uh, we made I, a I blood will... oath That's to true. cover all Eric Roberts' projects so no one ever need apologize. Hey, better true. we do this now than six months down the line. That's, yes, that's true. Uh, first off, have you guys seen uh, Sorority Slaughterhouse, which is a new David Dakota movie with Eric Roberts in it? Uh, we have not. I have not seen it yet, though. Oh. I'm fully aware of it. <laughs> okay. he played, It's like a Chucky Child's Play ripoff, and mm-hmm. I have that movie. I bought it. I listened to the commentary. I am pretty sure, and I don't want to put false rumors on the internet or anything like that. I am pretty sure... That on that, on that commentary, it was mentioned that Eric Roberts and David Dakota are neighbors, which is oh. why he is in so many films of his because he can literally go knock on the door and say, "Hey, do you want to record a voiceover?" <laughs> like he did for DB Cooper versus Bigfoot, and uh, presumably uh, that sorority slaughterhouse. So I think that may be the connection between those two. I may be wrong. You guys may be more in the know than me, but that's what I heard on a DVD commentary. Can you confirm or deny that? I cannot confirm that. However, the uh, apocryphal story uh, that Eric Roberts recorded his uh, talking cat lines in his own bathroom because David Dakota just came over with a recording device, that would seem to to somewhat confirm that suggestion. My understanding is that David Dakota spends most of his time in Vancouver when he's not filming in L.A., but uh, but maybe he has a property available to him very close to the Eric Roberts compound with his squirrel sanctuary. And, uh, and <laughs> hey, if you, got a, if you got an actor like Eric Roberts as a neighbor, why not say, hey, buddy, before you Absolutely. come for a barbecue, why don't you record these lines of a talking cat? <laughs> yeah, come make this cat talk while you're <laughs> yeah, that's that. right. That's right. And uh, we'll add movie magic. Absolutely. So whether or not that's true or not, I'm sure you guys will find out when you talk to him eventually. Uh, as far as this movie goes, I, I eat this shit up. I actually thought this movie was uh, – it, it was a fun, bad movie. To me, it moved around, along at a quick pace. Eric Roberts showed up every couple – every now and then, made an appearance, and uh, you know you, they keep dressing him up in different jackets, and he had an eye patch after one point getting hurt, and – it just was I, – I thought this was a load of fun. Don't know if you guys hated it uh, that much, but I, I, I kind of enjoyed it for what it was. Life is too short to hate movies, I think. True. True. And again, yeah. I th- – there are certain limitations to The Wrong Roommate. It is not a particularly polished movie, uh, and it no. feels very much like a David Dakota production, except, you know, it's got a plot. We It's a fairly easy-to-follow plot as well. There's also some recognizable actors in here, not just Eric Roberts, but you have uh, Dominique Swain, of course, from mm-hmm. uh, Lolita is here as the best friend of Jessica Morris, uh, Lori Valentine, our lead character. Vivica A. Fox uh, is... Mm-hmm. You know what? Vivica A. Fox deserves better. <laughs> she, she, You can tell she tries really hard. She deserves better than this and that Cool Cat Finds a Gun movie <laughs> that we talked about several episodes ago. Uh, and uh, William McNamara uh, from Dario Argento's Opera is here. Uh, and, of course, he, he, he's he been in tons and tons of stuff. He's here as the kind of jilted, much older ex-fiancé. So, you know, it's it's there's a slightly higher production value here than you normally yes. get on a David Dakota movie. That said, a lot of the hallmarks of his productions are here as well. There's the day for night. There's the actors obviously not interacting. So you have, uh, especially in the very first scene, the first thing that you see happen is Eric Roberts' character, uh, Floyd, gets run over by a car. Mm-hmm. And there's these insert shots of like close-ups of Eric Roberts and they're obviously day for night. Then there's actual night shots of a car running towards someone who does not look very much like Eric Roberts at all. 
And it's cut back and forth. And then uh, using the, 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 some wonderful editing techniques, it appears that Eric Roberts' character is hit by a car. But, it, you know, that's the kind of thing that you sort of expect uh, out of the, 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 the fast, uh, sort of the really quick shooting style of David Dakota. Liam, what did you think of The Wrong Roommate? I feel like this movie is um, it's haunted at its edges by the Skinamax movie it wants to be. Um, and, and that movie is one I would like to watch. That's a yeah. movie. There's there's under the surface. There's the there are the roots of a really sleazy, but in a really kind of fun and ridiculous way, sort of like tristy, murdery, whatever thing. And I kept thinking we were going to slide that direction, but because it's made for Lifetime and because it's uh, David Dakota, uh, it never quite gets there. But what I did think is that it had more of a coherent. I mean. The, the main sort of plot conceit where we start at one point and then we go back and lead up to that point, it's really jarring. But compared to some of his other movies, it's super coherent, actually. Uh, <laughs> and I felt like this is of, – of the ones I've watched for this podcast, this felt like the most coherent for me. Um, it, it, there, there, were, there weren't the sort of repeated – uh, shots of things to establish like Wolves of Wall Street had the one party scene they just showed five times or the one <laughs> office scene so you know there weren't those things in it it actually kind of worked together the performances weren't great but they weren't like the worst things ever and there was a lot of kind of like uh, the 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 um, leeringness of the movie kind of worked uh for what the movie was about and i and i kind of appreciated that even if it was kind of smarmy it's not the sort of thing i would choose to watch a lot it's not like my style per se it was sure. like it worked for that film and i thought like wow dakota's like making some good decisions in that way still it's not a great movie but it <laughs> but it yeah. but it it for for just from our experience of watching some of his other films, I felt like it worked together and um, there were aspects of it. I thought were kind of fun. I just, I think, a, I think a more over the top version of it, a, a more uh, grimy version of it would be something that maybe I would be kind of scandalized by, which would be more enjoyable than, than this. The film that I kept thinking about for obvious reasons while watching it was Stocked by My Doctor, the, the right. other yeah. Lifetime movie that, that featured Eric Roberts, uh, one of the other ones that we covered on this show. And what that movie has that this one is missing is uh, intention. You know, it has that kind of camp mm. intention to it where they're yeah. like, we are going to go over the top. We are yeah. going to take these kind of scenes which are – Fairly standard, people, uh, you know, realizing that uh, someone has betrayed them. The people kind of um, – the, the, the tense scene of someone who might get caught inside a house that they shouldn't be in. Those sort of things. And you just put them up a couple of notches uh, in terms of ridiculousness. And then you can have something fun like Eric Roberts grinding on an American Girl doll. Uh, or, <laughs> you know, because there's a scene in this movie where our – uh, villain, so to speak, Alan, our our roommate, <laughs> uh, that he goes inside uh, the house while uh, Lori, the the lead character, is away. While I guess she's still at work, and he kind of rifles. He puts he, first he he puts a camera in her bedroom, and the camera, by the way, is just a book with a hard drive in it. <laughs> uh, and uh, he also rifles through her underwear drawer because he's just being a big old creeper. Um, and that scene is played out. You know, it's slightly tense. We get what they're trying to do. But there are ways to make that 
ridiculous without being kind of overtly ridiculous that could have really served this movie a little bit better. And it's the kind of thing that you got in Stocked by a Doctor that in this movie, they just don't feel kind of the need to make that extra kind of push to be something special. That said, you know, you want slightly campy, slightly ridiculous, uh, predictable Lifetime Network uh, entertainment. This is what you get. You know, you get what you pay for with the wrong roommate. I do kind of... I feel like the quality of television movies like this has sort of gone down. <laughs> like the the resources that have been made available to them has got have gotten lower and lower. So this thing kind of feels like it was shot in like ten days with what was available to uh, to to the uh, to the production and the crew. But you know, it's it's it might be service. Uh, it, sorry, it might be uh, kind of paint by numbers. But there is a, a there is a professionalism that we don't usually get out of David Dakota Productions. Over to you again, Richard. Were there yeah. any scenes in particular that stood out to you as being, you know, particularly interesting, maybe getting that camp aspect that I was mentioning before? Well, like with, with this movie, and you kind of, I think you're right about that. Like back in the day, even a Lifetime movie in the early 2000s or late 90s was shot on 35. It had that film look and right. it, it looked like a movie. And now they kind of don't. They, they're all shot digital. And, I think with this movie, they they knew what they were making, and not saying they didn't care. They knew what beats to hit, and right. in my opinion, they hit all the beats to where it's it doesn't reinvent the wheel. It just it is the wheel, and it, it went through all the motions. Nothing was particularly innovative about it, and I kind of like the 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 point uh, you were making about if the, this could have been. You take this format, you could have thrown a little spice, a little edge in it, yeah. and it could have been a theatrically released uh, sexy thriller, twisty in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. And they just chose to play it safe and hit all the beats. Uh, I mean, obviously, I liked all the scenes with Eric Roberts. The scene where he's hit by the car <laughs> that is so poorly uh, day for nighted, <laughs> like my movie, was just a joy to watch. And my favorite was after he gets hit by a car, there's a scene he's in a wheelchair with just an eye patch on under his uh, cool guy tinted glasses that he wears in all his movies. Uh, that was just ridiculously wonderful. Uh, Vivica A. Fox, again, I, you mentioned the cool cat thing. She deserves way better. I mean, she she all her scenes in this were pretty good. Doesn't always make sense. I believe there's a scene where the main girl says, uh, they go, we can't go in the house without a warrant. She goes, well, I'm a friend of his. So if I go in there, I'm just a friend visiting. And Vivica Fox is like, okay, let's go. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's not how it works. But, you know, I, I think there were quite a few. None of them were particularly effective, but they worked. And they were what they were. And I just think there were no risks taken. And it was a safe, uh, safe movie. It was fun, I guess. Let me describe a sequence to explain to the listeners who likely haven't seen this. Though you might, It probably replays on the Lifetime Network uh, fairly frequently. But there is a part in this movie where uh, our lead baddie, Alan, he has put a uh, the body of uh, someone he's killed in a car and then is going to send it off a cliff into a fiery explosion. Now, if this was a movie, an exploitation movie made in the 70s, you would, like, that explosion is the money shot, right? You have to have a car yeah. tumbling down an embankment yep. and explode. And I, re- I was sitting there watching the movie. I'm like... They are not going to blow up a car for this movie. There's no way they're going to do it. And I was completely right because instead they show the character's face. You hear the the, the sound effects <laughs> of the car moving forward and the explosion. And then just some lights appear on his face to show that fiery flames are, are somewhere in his immediate vicinity. Uh, it, it, that is the kind of 
that I think is the limitation of yeah. of kind of modern made for TV movies where you can't even have a simplistic car explosion because it just doesn't allow it. The production doesn't allow for even that sort of production value. And that's the kind of thing that gets a little bit um, annoying uh, when, when yeah. you feel like the, the even the kind of visceral thrill you could get from something like that, that you're being denied it. Liam, were there any uh, particular sequences from the movie that you felt were memorable? Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like uh, Brianna Joy Chomer, who's in uh, Stop Stopped. by My Doctor. I just like her, and uh, I kind of like Dominique Swain. So, like, whenever they were doing stuff, I, you know, that was cool. And just seeing Vivica A. Fox in this movie was unexpected. And so that, just her presence. But honestly, the thing that I, about this film that I've noticed in other movies like this, uh, especially I think in David Dakota movies is this idea that like there's this slow realization of all the, like the way that people figure out the facts of the film is like really disjointed to me. Like it's not that the, it's not that Alan's ruse lasts until one big moment where you find out everything. It's like, they find out bits and pieces like, Oh, Alan isn't quite what he seems. And, uh, but my husband's still this. Oh, well, he's dead. And it, I, it, it doesn't make sense to me how long they draw out the revelation of these things. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's yeah. it's just to draw it out more and more where, like, there's a reason in these sorts of movies, even if it's not believable, you just find it out all at once. Because that's actually dramatically more interesting, even though it's not realistic. And one of those scenes, she sees Alan and he just runs away down a hill. <laughs> it's like, wait, I think that isn't was the that eye patch scene? Yeah, that was the eye patch scene. Yeah, it's like it was Alan was the one who hit me, and then there's Alan and he's like, oh no, and he like runs away <laughs> with a syringe in his hand. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> that's it, that's it, also it, the scene, by the way, Liam, where Eric Roberts says. I'm going to have to take a rain check on Chicago, which legitimately gave me anxiety when I watched it. I was like, you better not, Eric Roberts. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's – I also love in movies where a character is supposed to be an artist, right? And because a character is an artist, then at some point you have to show their art. And if you're – you have characters constantly talking about how good this art is. When you show it, it better live up to that. And the art that's used in this movie – look – I'm not much of a artist. I, I, I'm a writer. Uh, I can I can do that fairly well. But if I needed to put paintbrush to canvas, it's it's not going to come out very well. But I think I could do a scorpion with red in the background without too much trouble. But the art that they show in this is so fucking ridiculous. But the guy is supposed to be like, for all for all intents and purposes, his full time job is supposed to be. Being an artist, though you never actually see him doing any of that. He even has a property that he goes to to work on his wood and work on his canvases. What did you think of his art, Liam? I mean, not only was it bad, it's the worst cover story ever. Like, you mean, so the idea is that he has uh, uh, taken on the identity of this artist who died some time ago. And in order to do that, he what? Bought all this guy's paintings? Like... (laughs) The amount of work, if he could just say, I'm Tom, I'm a plumber, and that's it. There's no evidence. You don't have to acquire a bunch of material to prove that you're Tom the plumber. But, like, he has to buy all this guy's shitty paintings in order to say he's this guy. They even have to set up a website for him. And, of course, that is they ended up getting found out because Eric Roberts (laughs) happened to teach the student who actually did the art and saw – 
over our lead character's shoulder while she's looking at the website, she recognized a piece of his art, which also, by the way, a photo of that painting happened to be in the transcript of that student he died that he could pull. You know, now that I describe it, what a fucking ridiculous movie this is. <laughs> I mean, okay, so so sort of the base, this is what I was saying a little bit, though. The base plot of, like, she has an ex, the ex has hired s- somebody to watch her, in a in a way, and then that guy sort of is seduced by watching her, kills the ex, and like is now going to be her lover. There's like a real grimy Skinamax sure. movie in there that like I I can see, but there's so much random shit yeah. added on top that you're like, why? Who thought this was a good idea? Which I guess David Dakota did. <laughs> But you're right, like that that whole element right there of what you're saying of like you got the guy, the ex-husband or ex-fiance hires him to watch him, then he becomes obsessed with her, kills the ex like that works alone. Like I now that you're mentioning this, like it almost seems arbitrary that there was this whole subplot of him taking the identity of the the painter. Maybe you guys can remind me, was there a reason for that or is that totally unnecessary? Like I'm I mean, I I'm guess it does it. It does give sort of a reason for him to be able to just stay home all day, right? Well, <laughs> or, or just leave and come back like he doesn't have to explain himself. I was working on my art. Oh, perhaps you would like one of my paintings to put in your kitchen. Well, and also in that other plot, in that other movie, the reason you have all these other female characters is he seduces every character. Like in that movie, yeah. he would he, it wouldn't just be Laurie. Janice and Ricky are also going to end up in his apartment. Like that's how that's going to work. But in this movie, he spends all his time with Ricky for no reason other than she's around and they both like to exercise. Like they keep suggesting visually that there's something untoward, but then it doesn't go anywhere at all. Like it's, it, it has all of the trappings of this, like, uh, sexy movie, and then his big perverted scene is he sniffs some underwear. It's <laughs> it's almost having that be the thing he does makes it even grosser than if he had actually seduced multiple women and done weird shit with them. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that the, the, the relationship that Alan tries to have with Lori is this really kind of weirdly chaste relationship <laughs> where like even a kiss is like too much for them, right? Even though he lives... You know, in in basically an attachment apartment to her house. I also, by the way, I just want to get this out there because I, I need to get your thoughts quickly and we got to wrap up fairly soon. But she is staying in her sister's house, who is obviously very well off, and she's taking care of her niece. This This person rented the apartment that is connected to the house. And she did not know about it at all. The Apparently the niece threw away the paperwork because it had some rules or something. So she knows nothing at all about this guy, including how much he's paying for rent, how she's going to collect it, any of that shit at all. Never contacts her sister at all. And at several times throughout the movie, she refers to her own sister as Aunt Valentine or Aunt whatever, as if she is her own aunt as opposed to her sister. It's a really fucking strange kind of conceit that you have to... It's just like... This is the reason I'm in this fancy house. I have to get my own place because I am now, you know, I'm a single woman. It's a, the structure of it does have these kind of, of weird elements that are unnecessary to explain, but the movie feels a need to explain them anyway. Why, but we, why is she teaching in college? Oh, by the way, a college, a college during summer, college. 
Uh, that's right. Well, she went back to get her degree because she didn't want to be a trophy wife. She did explain that, Liam. And now she teaches at a college that only has classes outside and during the summer because they couldn't obviously have access to a classroom. But but what uh, but what is? And she they only teaching? talk about metamorphosis. Is that what? <laughs> that's right. Is? It's Kafka's yeah. metamorphosis. Yeah. yeah. What I'm saying is, is she went she went back to finish college, but did she get it? I guess because her story was like, he made me quit, and then I went back because I didn't want to be a trophy wife. Sure. Yeah. Then she just went back and got her PhD in a couple years? Or, like, is she just – you know what I mean? Like, it, they don't really they, – they give you just enough detail, but it still doesn't quite make sense why she's there. Well, she's only teaching during the summer. I mean, how how much qualification do you really need, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> Eric Roberts is in the movie The Wrong Roommate, a uh, regular collaborator with David Dakota. Here he plays a um, – is he the – like, does he run the school? Is that what we're supposed to think? He's some higher-up position. So I thought he, he was her boss, yeah. Yeah, he is her boss at the school. And yeah. there is some suggestion early on that he might actually be kind of a creeper-type character. But we find out later that he's actually like almost like an investigator. He wants to get to the bottom of this story about the art, this, this story that has all these holes in it because he knows where the art really came from. Uh, I don't know how much time they had with Eric Roberts when making this movie. But his scenes are seemingly shot completely separate from the action of anybody else. He's never shown really interacting directly with any of the other characters in the movie. He's just kind of, you know, put in in a very kind of classic Roger Corman way. You have Eric mm-hmm. Roberts. Let's get him throughout the movie. In some ways, it's actually fairly cleverly done outside of the day for night aspect. Starting with you, Richard, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in The Wrong Roommate? It reminded me a lot of Sector 4. He probably had the same amount of screen time, and it was the same deal. Like, we probably got him for a day, and, you know, throwing his name on the poster is definitely going to help uh, ratings or DVD rentals, wherever this wound up. Eventually, I, I, you know, he, and honestly, he was the most fun uh, part of the movie. To me, uh, I did think, I forget the young girl's name, who was in Stock by My Doctor. What was her name? Um uh, Ricky, I think. Is that is that correct? Rick, the character, yeah, Ricky. Uh, I forget the actress's name. Uh, you know, she was great, too. I, I like the lead actress quite a bit. But, you know, he was e- easily the most fun. And, you know, just seeing his wardrobe change uh, throughout the script from one scene <laughs> to another, you know, just dressing him up a little different. It looked like it's shot on a different day. Absolutely. And the eye patch. I, I can't get over the eye patch. That was... <laughs> Sector four needed an eye patch on Eric Roberts is all I'm saying. Like that was the most fun for me. And he, he delivers a solid performance. So yeah, absolutely. He was, uh, he was stellar in this. Liam, do you agree with that? What did you think of Eric Roberts in the movie? I thought the scene where he is, uh, challenging Alan, you know, and he's just like, right? I know about this art. That was pretty cool. That was like, uh, kind of badass. And then, when he kind of reveals, like, I know it was Alan who tried to kill me. That was cool. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, just to go back to I, that scene. That confrontation scene, you're right, is is one of the more interesting ones because Alan has to, on his feet, explain why he has uh, on his website a picture of someone else's art. <laughs> but his explanation that it's like, oh, I guess the guy who did the website the web just kind of fucked it up. Just fucked up. When behind him is another scorpion-based piece of art <laughs> that's just sitting there. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is my original. That one's just kind of similar to what I do. <laughs> He says something like, "This could get me in a lot of trouble." Thanks for letting me know. Thanks, thanks for the heads up. No, I mean, okay, so like those, but I mean, as far as his Eric Roberts' performance, those are pretty good. But a lot of the inter, he has like smaller scenes in between those, and I didn't think any of those were that great. It kind of bummed me out a little bit. I, I wanted, 
I mean, first of all, I think the part of the problem is the writing of the character where it's like, is he a charming old man or a creepy old man? It's not mm. clear. Right. Uh, and, I, and I think that is reflected in Eric Roberts' performance, that it's not written in a way where he's sort of playing up one way or the other. Um, I, I, there's a couple of good scenes with him, but it's not – I would say it's very different than Sector 4 in that, like, in Sector 4, he's like this bright light in literal darkness since you can't see anything <laughs> in the fucking movie. But uh, in this in this movie, I, you know, I don't know that he outshines – I mean, he certainly outshines the guy who played Alan because that dude couldn't yeah. act his way out of a paper bag. But – uh, but some of the other people are pretty good in the movie, and I think he just sort of he fits in. He doesn't do a bad performance, but it's it's not great. All right. Well, Liam, we're divided. We feel a little divided, but I want to get the word from your mouth, Liam. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in The Wrong Roommate? I mean, he's still the man. He's oh, still Eric Roberts. It's right, still a good. It's just not. He's not the man the way he is in some other things. That, well, that's fair enough. I mean, I want to hear it from Richard as well. Richard, do you think that Eric Roberts is the fucking man in The Wrong Roommate? I think he's the man. I, I definitely thought he was the spark plug in this movie. I, I, I liked him. Well, I want I, let's clarify, Richard. Is he the man or is he the fucking man? Eric Roberts, <laughs> sir, is the fucking man. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 2016's The Wrong Roommate, perhaps mm-hmm. the best movie that David Takoto made in the year 2016. That is damning with faint praise, but uh, keep your eyes open for The Wrong Roommate coming to uh, a rerun on the Lifetime Network (laughs) near you. Uh, And maybe check out The Wrong Child, The Wrong Student, and The Wrong Crush. I think it would be amusing if all of those other movies also (laughs) didn't actually have the character playing the part that The Wrong Child has no children, The Wrong Student has no student. Hey, I wonder if The Wrong Student has a classroom. I guess I'll have to check that out and see. We're going to take our final break. When we return, we're going to say goodnight and do a little plugging. We'll be back right after this. Episode number 57 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man is in the bag. Thanks so much to our guest, Richard Pierce, who not only allowed us to poke a little fun at his film (laughs) Sector 4, but also delighted us by choosing the wrong roommate for us to talk about on this episode. You were a delight, Richard. Actually, you know, it because I hadn't actually heard you on a podcast before, there's always a bit of a dice roll when it comes to asking you on the program, but you were Amazing. Richard, where can people find your work? Where can people follow you on the internet? Uh, I'm pretty, I was on Twitter. I'm trying to get back into it. It's at rich <laughs> underscore Pierce 12, uh, P-I-E-R-C-E for Pierce. Uh, I'm on there a little bit, but uh, I had a blast, guys. This was a, a lot of fun, and uh, I, I apologize for uh, making you sit through. I know you got your blood oath and all, but uh, sitting through Sector 4 is no easy task, and I appreciate you guys doing it for me. 
it was a constant delight because we had your commentary to help us uh. through, Richard. Richard, <laughs> is, is there any work on the horizon that we should be looking out for? No, uh, nothing that I can really give a release date for yet, but uh, lots of things working, and hopefully something better than Sector 4 will be coming out <laughs> shortly. <laughs> Maybe It might be Eric Roberts' list, but uh, hey, follow me on Twitter, and I post all about my uh, my stuff and all the goings-on on there. So definitely follow me on there, and I'd be happy to talk to anybody about that. And we'll link that, of course, in the show Absolutely. notes. Liam, Cinepunks is still going strong. Lots mm-hmm. of exciting things going mm-hmm. on there uh, in mm-hmm. a in a very concise manner not not going on forever like you did in the last episode why don't you just tell us what's going on with cinepunks um <laughs> just the clock's running the clock oh my is, god is oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> just check it out cinepunks cinepunks.com c-i-n-e-p-u-n-x.com lots of podcasts lots of writing check it out look at our patreon be cool buy a yeah. t-shirt be 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 a cool punk like Liam and and oh look, my god! But if you're gonna buy one T-shirt, you want to buy it from EricRobertsIsTheMan.com, <laughs> which is where you can find, of course, the most recent episodes of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Also follow us on Twitter at e r i t f m, and if you do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook, you can join that group as well and get all the latest Eric Roberts news, including uh, the new details about our trip to Chicago and our live appearance with the man. Himself. You can also check out my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, at nobudgetpodcast.com. Uh, we're about to cover the classic 1980s shot on video movie, Woodchipper Massacre, which is episode 99 of No Budget Nightmares, leading into our 100th episode spectacular, where we have some very special guests lined up. We don't usually have guests, but this time we're due. We're going all out because because uh, if you're going to go all out, it should be episode 100. You can, of course, find that also on Twitter at No Budget Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But with that said, it's time to close up the Eric Roberts bag. It's time to say good night. We'll be back in just a couple more weeks with great new Eric Roberts projects and news. But with that said, it's time to say good night, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, 